you're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people. I personally don't know my guest today, but we're friends on Facebook, and I see his post, and he just looks like the nicest guy. I mean, like the type of guy that would sit there, if he held a door for you, and you didn't say thank you, he'd let it go. Like me, I'm like, hey, excuse me, uh, you're welcome. I've become a total jerk, but he just seems like a great guy. He's a, a tremendous actor, and he just did a big uh, benefit. I think he does yearly a golf tournament, I believe, for St. Jude, and my guest is Kevin Rum. How you doing, Kevin? Good. How you doing? Now, do you hear that a lot? Because you, you, you just look like a nice guy. I, I <laughs> It's funny. I, I try to be a nice guy. I don't always succeed in being a nice guy, but I do have that face. So... Tell me about the golf tournament just that just happened. I want to hear how you got involved, and it was—I think I believe it was virtual this year, and you raised a lot of money. So tell me about yeah. that. So obviously, yeah, this year had to be virtual. Last year was year one of the ROM Celebrity Golf Tournament, uh, benefiting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, I got involved. Um, uh, my buddy Patrick Warburton, who is putty on Seinfeld and does all the commercials, and he has, he has his own shows. Lemony Snicket, he's prolific. Um, uh, we've been we did a pilot together twenty years ago that never no one ever saw, and so we've been friends for a long time. But uh, he's been doing a charity tournament for St. Jude Golf Tournament for ten years now, and I've been going for six years. And the guy who runs it, his name is Clark Rainey, and he called me about two years ago and said, "Okay, we want to do an East Coast version of this. We want you to be the namesake." And um, I said, "Okay," and obviously everyone else up to R and his Rolodex had passed, and so I said I would do it, and. Um, uh, so last year was year one. The goal was to raise $500,000. That was Clark's goal. My personal goal was that none of my friends got arrested in Florida. <laughs> and, uh, and we ended up raising $700,000 year one and no one was arrested in Florida. So it was a huge success. Uh, and then we were really excited to try to get to a million dollars this year down there. And we pushed it. Um, normally it's in May, end of May. Then we pushed it to September, hoping things would be better by then. Uh, and obviously they weren't. So the thing about the golf tournament is it's three nights of music and two, two or three days of golf. So it's not just golf. It's more of an event. And um, so we have a songwriter night where Nashville uh, Hall of Fame songwriters t- you know, who've written number one hits tell you the story of writing the song, and then they do an acoustic version of it. And then there's the jam session on Friday night, which is we have rock and roll Hall of Famers with one of the best bands in the world called Six Wire, and they perform. They each do like two or three songs each. And then the Saturday night, there's another uh, jam session, and then they let yahoos like me get up there, and my friends, like we did Beastie Boys last year, um, and then we did another Beastie Boys song at Patrick's tournament this year. Um, and so it's just a party for three or four days, and you know, either in St. Augustine for my tournament and Palm Springs for Patrick's, and it's all to raise money for St. Jude Children's Church Hospital. So... Now, how do This you- year, so, yeah, so the, your point, your question was, this year we did the two nights of music... On, online virtually for free and then just ask for donations and we ended up raising five hundred and eleven or twelve thousand dollars yeah now how do you find the musicians do you do it personally do you reach out or do you see the works i mean you've been in the business for a long time so you i'm sure you have the your actor friends and so that way you can probably yes. just say hey give me a solid but how do you work with getting the musicians i, I believe alice cooper was on this year Alice Cooper was on this year, so I didn't. I do not have Alice Cooper's phone number, so I did not. It was that was not me. That was God. so the Kerr Rainey Group. Um, they do uh, concerts like a corporate 
retreat stuff. So like uh, if your corporation wants Alice Cooper to come play, they hire Six Wire and Alice Cooper and they come, come do two ten songs and they pay them a lot of money. And so they work with all these musicians all the time and they're the ones who started getting them to come to Patrick's tournament 10 years ago. And so they have a relationship with most of the artists. Now, David Cook and um, uh, Daughtry have become friends of mine from another charity event that we do together in Kansas City for Rob Riggle called The Big Slick to raise money for children's, a children's hospital there, uh, Mercy Children's Hospital in, in Kansas City. Um, and so those guys I know. And so those guys I just called. I just Those guys I texted or called and said, hey, come do me a solid. Come to Florida. This was last year to do the tournament. And then this year I called them and said, hey, can you do me a solid and do this song for me for the, for the virtual night? And they were generous enough with their time to do it. Now, what made you become into so much into charity? Because, you know, a lot of people sit there and they say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to donate, and you know how it is, and then people are full of crap, and they don't ever do anything, and you see it and on social media, they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 and nothing. What made you become, get into it when you did, and what has made you stay with it, and then even to branch out more to doing your own? Um, well, the, the branching out, I mean, I, first of all, doing it just makes me feel better. You know, it's like we, to, uh, it's, it's kind of a selfish act on my part, because I, 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 you take your ego out of the mix for a little bit and it's not about you and it's about you're there to serve a greater purpose, a purpose greater than yourself. Um, so that just always feels good. Uh, honestly, for most of the stuff I do is fun. I mean, like I love to play golf. And so anytime I can go play golf at a new place and it helps people, I mean, that's a win-win for everyone. So like I play in George Lopez's tournament every year. Um, uh, there's SAG after has a, has a golf charity golf tournament. So part of it was part for me was golf related that I would go get to play in these, uh, these charity golf tournaments. And then that's how I got, you know, into Patrick's tournament was through the golf. And then, I, then, then you, then you, then you learn about the hospital or you learn about the charity and, and some of them stick with you, you know, you're always doing good, but some of them stick, they hold on a little tighter. And so St. Jude, uh, it held on a little tighter for me. And there's something about, you know, Dan, you know, uh, Danny Thomas was quoted as saying that, you know, his, his mantra was no child should die in the dawn of life. And that's just, I feel like that's, it's not a bad mantra to have, you know, yeah. the fact that you're trying to help kids, you know, who are innocent. Um, but the, I, I'm lucky that Clark and I, Clark, who runs Patrick's tournament, and I became friends and we started playing in tournaments together, separate from charity stuff. And then it was his idea that I, that my name was on this tournament. So I owe that to him. Um, and it was daunting. I was, I was nervous. So, you know, I was like, I'm not, you know, Patrick's a celebrity. I feel like I'm a, People, some people know who I am. You might recognize me from something, but like I'm not a name by any means. Like you don't see my name and go, "Oh, we got to go" because that's so and so. And so it's just I'm I'm relying on my more famous friends to show up <laughs> to be the people playing in the golf tournament, which I'm lucky they have so far. So as an actor, you've worked constantly for a long time. How are you dealing with Corona? I'm getting different things from different actors. Some yeah. are saying, "Hey, man, we dig the self tape." Some are saying. I miss the room, you know, and it goes, it's like, it's always divided. Like either people hate the self tape or they like it. How are you doing it? And do you even audition anymore or do you pretty much get offers? I, I do audition still. Uh, um, I very rarely get a straight offer. Um, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. The thing I like about the self tape is that I can do it on my own time. In other words, I don't have to, it doesn't have to be at tomorrow at four. It just has to be in by tomorrow at four. So I can, 
if I'm if I can try it and if I don't like watch it, don't like it, I can do it again before they see it. Um, I'm lucky that my wife, who has nothing to do with this industry, is a really good reader. It's like my manager is constantly complimenting her reading with me, and I'm like, what, what? "This is about me right now." She already has her thing. She's a doctor. She's fine, but she's a damn good reader, and it's really annoying uh, and also beneficial. Um, I uh, I like being in the room, though. I I'm better in the room. I, I like to feed off their energy. I like to I like to feed off. I like to talk to them before and after. I usually have a lot of questions. Um, the thing I don't like about the self tape is is that that's one version. You know, I I feel like I can give you another version if you tell me what you're looking for. Or if you or, or if you go, hey, that we like that, but hey, we were thinking more this way. And I'm like, I'd love to. I love that play. I love to try something new in the room. And so, and I feel like that's one of my skills is being a little. Uh, being versatile that way, or, or, or uh, I'm not immovable when it comes to my take on the on the character, or the, what, how I'm saying things, or uh, so I, I actually I miss the room a lot, and I don't know that we're going back to the room anytime soon. It is crazy when you think about it. Even just like sets now, you know, I had someone on and I had uh, Brooke Smith on who's shooting a show in Vancouver, and she said, you know, you go up there and you got to quarantine for two weeks, but and then yeah. I know someone who lost the guest star role because they didn't want to say. You quarantine, we don't want to pay for your quarantine. You know, we'll use someone local. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's a very, it's a weird time. I mean, how do you see, where do you see the industry going in the next six months to a year? Well, I think, I think you're going to, you're going to see anything that's not already established on the air, as far as television is concerned, at least anything that's not already established on the air is going to have a hard time or without a, without a huge name attached to it, just for anyone to take the risk. You're going to see a lot of things uh, shot differently, I feel. There's going to be less crowd, no crowd scenes. There's no big party scenes. A lot of one-on-one scenes from across the room. A lot of long lenses. Um, it'll be interesting to see how everyone, like, you know, like, I used to show like uh, Grey's Anatomy can play into it. You know, they're at a hospital, so everybody's wearing a mask. That makes sense. Same with Superstore, which felt my buddy Feldman's on. You know, they're going to they're gonna lean into it because they're frontline workers. But I, I feel like it's going to give everyone, it's going to uh, make the box smaller to play in, right? Which is uh, can be artistically interesting, you know. Um, like my buddy John, I did a movie once with my buddy John Punch, and he wrote a movie based on certain criteria, and so like that kind of frees you in a way. Like here's the box we're gonna play in. We have to have everything in one truck. We're gonna we're gonna shoot in my hometown of Pennsylvania because I can get all the housing for free, and we have these locations. So let's build let's build something. You know, I feel like you're gonna see a lot of that, where you build off the opportunity you have. Um, we've been trying to figure out how to do it where you get a script. It's like what my buddy Clay Crawford did last year before Corona. They went to a small town in, in Utah and shot a three-hander with a very limited crew. And it's like I feel like you're going to see some of that where you take – and also um, Thomas Lennon is doing that with Reno 911. They took everyone. They quarantined together and rehearsed together during quarantine, and then they're going to stay in that bubble and shoot. And so that's going to be harder in television. I think it's going to lend, lend itself more to film. Now, do you think, and I guess this is just from your, your, it's your profession, but if you were to do a show and you weren't to wear masks, I don't think the people who watch it would be too pissed off. Like the character, like Superstore, if they didn't have masks, I think people right. would be okay with it because it's like, it's still an escape. It's still TV. You know, there's right. that blur. Right. What do you think? I mean, it's, do you think um, people... Well, I think I think. Look, you're gonna. I feel like at this day and age, you're gonna piss off one one side or the other either way. Um, uh, 
I, I feel like, yes, it is. I, as long as they're being safe. It's like I, I wasn't upset that basketball players weren't wearing masks because they had a good system in place. They were being tested. They were in a bubble. They were. We knew it was safe. I feel like if it was flaunting it and, you, you know, they didn't have a testing system in place and, you know, if, you did, if, you, if the crew wasn't wearing masks, I think we'd have a problem. But, no, I, I want to see people without masks on on television because it's an escape. It's escape. You, you want to see you want to see the story. And if the mask helps tell the story, I don't have a problem with that. I remember I, did, on, I was on Judging Amy years ago and I had to – my character was a doctor and we were doing a scene where I had to do a, 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 a surgical procedure at, in the operating room for the first time. And they wouldn't let me wear a mask. And it, I was so mad. I was like, they're like, we want to see your face. I'm like, do you not watch ER? Like, they do this on television. Did you not watch MASH? They had whole scenes where everyone had a mask on. And that was the 70s. Like, we can get by it. Our microphones are better. Um, yeah, so as long as, it, as, long as it's, t- it's part of the story, I don't I, I'm fine with me. Now, how did you get into acting? I know you grew up in Texas. I know you went away for a mission for two years. Did you, as a kid, and I know, I believe you were pre-law, Brigham Young. Yeah. As a kid, did you want to act, or is this something you fell into? A little bit of both. I, I never thought of it as a career choice. Uh, being from Louisiana at the time, no one was an actor. No one went on to become an actor. That was unheard of. Um, so it was never in my mind that I was going to do it professionally. Um, I have to. Th- I can't remember his name. I need to find an old yearbook and find this guy's name and thank him. But my freshman year, I went to Louisiana. I started high school in Louisiana, finished in East Texas. My freshman year in this Catholic high school in Louisiana, they had a big brother, a little brother. So your senior big brother was you know, like your you know help look, look after you kind of. We pretty much bought you beer on the weekends. But um, he he pulled me aside and he said, "You're we're the senior play. They did one Shakespeare play a year. They didn't have a theater program." He goes, "You're going to audition for the play," and I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not." I'm not doing it. I had no interest. And he goes, yeah, you are. And he was much bigger than I was. And so I said, okay, I will, I guess. And I did the play. I, I, I was Lucius servant to Brutus. They did. It was, a um, it was a Julius Caesar. And I had like two lines on this beautiful stage, the Strand theater, downtown Shreveport, Louisiana. And, um, I got all this attention from the girls from the all girl sister school, you know, that were in the play with us and they, they would put on my makeup and I was cute and little and young and, um, and they were like, Oh, they're fun. And like, and I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. I love this, all this attention from these girls. Um, so I did that at BYU. I mean, this was at Loyola. And then when I moved to East Texas, my, my focus at, at the Catholic school is debate. And that was my intent to go to law school. And then when I moved to East Texas, they had a very small debate program, but a huge theater program. So I got thrown into theater classes and it, and did it, but didn't take it seriously. I mean, like we would, we went to awards and we, I mean, we went to competitions and won awards and stuff, but like, again, not the thought of this is a career. This is just something fun to do in, in high school. And then when I got to BYU, uh, again, thought law school, I'm going to go to law school. And that spring term, you know, taking honors American heritage and political science 110, getting straight A's. I saw a play at the college, and this woman named I, her name I remember. Her name was Kim Abunawara, and she had been a small she had a small part in Footloose back in the day, and um, but she was this amazing actress, and it was a two hander called Tally's Follies, and they were so good, and it was it, it's like the light bulb went off, and I was like, holy cow that's what I've been trying to do. That's what I, that's how you do it. And I think I can do that and I'm going to try. And so, and I thought, and even at the time I thought worst case, this is a good, you know, if I'm going to be a trial lawyer, 
you know, learning, you know, speech and all that stuff is going to be good. And so I took an intro to theater class that summer and auditioned for a play. And I was on a main, I was on the main stage that fall and, and never looked back. And then it immediately became my major. That's all I did. I really didn't go to college. I kind of created a grad program for myself in undergrad, took all the theater classes, took a couple of psych sociology classes, took a couple of philosophy classes, and then kind of ditched all my general education. <laughs> and then at, after four years, realized I had a whole year left to graduate and I didn't want to be there anymore. And uh, I was already working professionally. I was getting jobs on TV in Salt Lake. And so I thought, well, I'm going to move to L.A. and see what happens. So you moved to L.A. And, yeah. you know, you're coming from a small town. I mean, not, but you're coming from the Midwest. Well, I guess it's, it's Louisiana, Texas, the Midwest. What? Oh, yeah, south. That's I mean, south. That's south. Well, you're coming from there. <laughs> yeah. Then you're in Utah. And then you come to L.A. Now, I know when I moved to L.A., I still remember I was living in San Diego, and I still remember I had, this was, God, 20-odd years ago, I had this uh, <clears throat> crappy little studio on uh, high, right behind Sunset and Highland. And it was before, uh-huh. it was before Hollywood and Highland was built. And yeah. it, was 38, it was on Selma, it was the street. It was 385 a month. For this little yeah. studio, and you could walk up in Hollywood. You didn't want to walk like you would. Me and my friend would go to this one bar, the Powerhouse, and you didn't want to walk up the street because it's like it was still really seedy. Where yeah. did you move when you first got to LA? Uh, I stayed on a friend's couch for about a month. Um, she was a producer on a movie that I had just done up through through a friend of mine in college, and um, so I stayed on her couch, and then I I couch surfed for a little bit. I moved my oh the first place I moved into was my own that was I, I moved into I rented a room uh, in uh, in West Hollywoodish Hollywood area um, uh, off oh God, what was that it's over near Fairfax but I, um, and I can't remember the street it was on it was by that Seven Eleven there's a Seven Eleven on Santa Monica Boulevard and it was right behind that but it was this woman had a room to rent and I rented a room in her house. And it was like two hundred, three hundred dollars a month, and uh, it was. Uh, she had a bunch of pets, and I was allergic to the cats. And I didn't. I, I spent as little time in there as possible. And um, and then then I couch surfed again a little bit. I finally ended up on Orange Grove, which is over by the Grove, uh, right against Ralph Fairfax. And I was in three different apartments on the same street in the course of like three years, and finally got my own with a buddy. Uh, but I, you know, I was on one guy's couch and then I had a room, a couple of roommates for a minute and then I had another roommate later and I was there for until I moved into a friend's guest house who was a writer after I started working as a TV on TV pretty regularly. I, a friend of mine was like, it's time for you to move, have your own place. And I have the guest house for you to do it. <laughs> so I moved into his guest house. Now, and, uh, what was the transition to you starting to work more on TV? Did you get an agent right away? I mean, no, did it take you a while? Not I mean, right what away. Was, what was your transition? Because you all of a sudden, I mean, you've worked constantly for a long time. But in the beginning, were you just scraping oh, by? That that first year was the first. So I moved to L.A. in June, I believe, of 96. And I quit my waiting tables job December of 99. So it was almost three years that I waited tables. Uh, the first year and a half, I didn't have an agent at all. It, you're, you're submitting through, you know, stuff on Backstage West and, you know, found an acting, uh, found a theater company and would do uh, plays and do acting class there. Um, and then I finally got a commercial agent and started, you know, getting callbacks and booked a couple of the commercials. Uh, and then finally got, I signed with the artist agency. And that was probably 90, Seven ninety eight. So there's about a year and a half that I signed with an agent, 
but that first year was like it's like it seemed like an impenetrable uh, fortress. Like I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to do. I had one contact really, and that was the casting director. His name was David Giella, and he cast uh, Touched by an Angel in Promised Land that I had booked while I was a student. Um, and so I, I reached out to him, and he gave me a list of like here are the ten agencies that I think you could get into. And so I printed out this packet of information and I spent like $30 on color copies of these articles from the newspaper in Salt Lake. And I won this acting award in college and, you know, stuff from the Kennedy Center and, you know, because we got to perform there. And it's this 20 page packet and with my resume and like I sent it to 20 different agents and three of them called me. Um, one of them called, it was the assistant. He was like, Hey man, I don't, I feel bad throwing this away. You spent a lot of time on this, but you come pick it up. (laughs) And then two of the other ones I I got meetings with. And, and I, when I, when I talked to them, I was like, okay, so just for my information for the future, what about the packet? Like what, what sparked your interest in me? And they're like, what packet? I'm like the packet. And they're like, Oh, Oh, the thing you said, we saw David Giella's name on it. That's why we called you. And I'm like, oh, man, I wasted $100 at Kinko's on color copies of this stuff. Um, <laughs> so stupid. Uh, and then the artist agency signed me. And they had, they had like Tom Selleck and Betty White and then a bunch of young people. You know what I mean? They had some really established older actors and then like a bunch of us that were trying to break in. And so a couple of guest spots here and there, uh, Silk Stockings and, um, and uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek. And, uh, and then I booked a pilot and then did a pilot and uh, three episodes of a show got canceled and then another pilot that one in one year. And then I was off to the races. What was it? You know, I always talk to actors who they, they talk about, you know, and you, you're one, you used to do it the same way. Like they do it very nonchalant. Like I booked a pilot, you know, I mean, some people have been in tons like, yeah, I booked a pilot, but the, what people don't understand is, you know, so many, like that's like the goal. And you talk to certain actors who have done like 15 pilots, you know, yeah, and they sit yeah. there. Now, when you book that pilot, what is going through your mind? You're a younger guy. Are you sitting there going, if this gets picked up, my life's changed. Do you think yeah. about that? I mean, does that get oh, in your absolutely. head? Absolutely. You have to say, first of all, yeah. So the way the pilot system works is they, and the, my first one's an interesting story. Um, Allison Jones was casting it, who I love. And it was for Mitch Hurwitz, who went on to do Arrested Development. And it was kind of, there were, it was kind of a baby version of Arrested Development. Joe, uh, Joe Claybert played my mom and Jeffrey Tambor played my dad. But, um, when I went in to read, I was no one. Like I didn't have, I mean, I barely had a resume. I had tape. I was SAG eligible, but I mean, they didn't know who I was. I hadn't done anything in LA. And, um, I went in to read for it and they'll read 200, 300, 400 people for one role. Um, especially if they can't find the thing or nobody's signing on for it. Um, so I went in to read for her and she was like, that's great. And I, about three weeks later, they called me, they want you to go back in. And I went back in and read for her. They're like, okay, that's great. And I, I went in once a month for six months for that show. Once a month for six months, they'd call me back in and I would go do it again. And they're like, that's great. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And I guarantee you, as soon as I walked into the room, they're like, that was awesome. Who do we have next? <laughs> because I'm no one. It's the lead of the show. And um, they finally had me come in and test for it. Now, when you test, they're, now they've narrowed it down to like three people. And all three of you have to sign a contract. And so right before you go into the room with all the executives from the network and the writers, the show and all those people, you sign a document that shows you how much they're going to pay you per episode, which, you know, was more money than my mom was making per year as a nurse, you know, and I was going to make that every week. 
And I was, and so you, and you start to see, you know, I had, you know, I had student loan debt and I, you know, I'm still waiting tables and I needed to make my shifts, make sure I make my rent. And it's like, that's life changing, you know, potential. And absolutely. If it, it, a couple of times it got in my head and a couple of auditions for tests for pilots, I blew because I needed the money. And I started thinking about that as opposed to the character or what I was going to do in the room. Um, but I luckily that one I booked, I got that one. Uh, and I've done a bunch that didn't go, but that one went a little bit and put me on the map at least, which got me in the room for other things. How do you sit there uh, mentally when you, I mean, not now, but back then you said you booked a bunch of different pilots. How do you mentally get prepared for the letdown in case it doesn't happen? Uh, it, it took me a long time to create a process for myself that works. What I do now is... Now my goal is to do my best version in that room. And then I, I try to create a, a system in my head where it doesn't matter if I get the job. I'm happy if I did my best work in the room. Because I think of it more now as, as they're making a soup or a stew. And uh, some stews need cardamom. Some stews need a little salt, peak, peak, you know, like a hot sauce. Some stews need a little more salt. And this is, these, are, these are the spices that I bring to the table. So I'm going to show you what I think I can do with this role. And if that helps your stew, then we're golden. And if not, that's cool. You find the right spice for your, your, your stew. Um, but for me, I always plan something that, that right after the audition and the next day. So like I always plan like a, a, like I, I either set up a, go- a round of golf with my buddies or I, I make dinner plans at a nice restaurant or I, I plan a date go see a movie with my wife um, but something that I look forward to other than that that is you know whether even just going to have a drink with a friend I haven't seen for a while I always have something to go do afterwards so I'm not thinking about it and then I try to leave it there I try to leave it in the room and sometimes I'm better at that than other times sometimes I really want the part and I don't get it and it's bumming and but it, it always sucks I mean it, it's, it's never fun to not get the job but sometimes you're like yeah whatever now now Jesse that was your first was that, that was, was the that? first one that went yeah okay. that lasted and now what was that like when you sat there finally it's something lasted you got that call and said hey this show's picked up how do you change? I mean, because all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have some cash in your pocket. You you're, you know where you're going to work. You don't have to deal with auditions. And I think sometimes people miss that. Like, you get in yeah. that grind where all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second. I don't have to audition. I can just come to work. I have my own trailer. I'm getting paid whatever money. What What is that like? How do you get used to that? And how do you get away from missing that grind? Um, I don't miss the grind. I, I love working. I and I love. I mean, I love to audition in the sense that I love to get a new script and work on it, and then go try to do something with it with the people um, in the room. But I, the, the thing for me on Jesse was learning how to manage my time. Um, you, on a sitcom, especially a multi-camera sitcom, you work very little hours. It's like maybe thirty hours a week that you're working, and if it's become successful, it's less. You know, it's like 20, 25 hours a week. Um, so then it's about staying sane in all of the downtime because you're not grinding anymore. I don't have to get to class to work on this scene for this audition tomorrow. I don't have to go wait tables. I don't have to get my laundry done now because I have three shifts you know, all weekend. Um, then it's about finding hop. I had a really good – my buddy John Putch again gave me two really good pieces of advice early on. And they were find a hobby, preferably one that takes you outside something you can go do. And so I, I picked golf 
And so that's something that takes me outside. I'm getting some exercise. I'm outdoors. I'm in the sun. And it can take five hours, you know. So that's something that can eat time. Uh, the other thing was keep your overhead low. And so I did buy a new car that for when I got Jesse because I still had my 88 Honda Accord. And it had the one, the one light that went up and the other one that didn't and the one window that wouldn't go down. So I did go buy, I bought a Volkswagen um, uh, Passat that I loved, that I had for years. Um, but other than that, I still, I kept it tight. Like I still lived in my buddy's guest house and, you know, I maybe bought a pair of shoes here and there. But like I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go crazy. I paid off student loans. That was the first thing I did. I paid off my debt. But um, it's, for me, it was finding what to do with all the free time. Without, without going crazy. Well, so after you leave Jesse, you end up on Judging Amy. Yes. Okay, now, which you're going... By the way, so you just did what I did, though. You did what I did about I booked a pilot. That was a long span in between for me. You know, it's like, in retrospect, I went from Jesse to Judging Amy. But in the t- there was like a year and a half where I didn't really work a lot. Like, I luckily booked two commercials and one of them ran for a year. And so I kind of lived off that money for a year. But was like, there was a lot of downtime where I, I started thinking, what am I going to do? Am I ever going to work again? Uh, should I go back to school? I started doing therapy and my buddy was in therapy. And so we would psychoanalyze each other. And then we thought, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should go back to school and become a therapist. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, I enjoy doing it with you. But if it's someone I don't know that I don't like, there's no way I could do this. I don't care how much you're paying me. Um, like there was a lot of like, what am I going to do with my life? I did a lot of plays in the downtime. Um, but then, yeah, I did I did book Judging Amy. What was the commercial for that ran for a while? Uh, it was a Volkswagen commercial, ironically. Um, it was a Jetta commercial that was a Super Bowl ad that year. That was kind of like The Graduate where you see the girl getting ready and then you see me in the in the Volkswagen trying to, like, looks like I'm trying to get to the wedding on time. And then you see me pull up, you know, I'm stuck behind, stuck in front of a train, stuck behind a car, passing a trailer, her dad looking at his watch, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to me pulling up to the church, running in, and you realize I'm breaking up the wedding. Like, she's up there with another guy, and I'm there. Like, hey. Um, so that was the Volkswagen. So it's called Big Day, I think was the name of the ad. But it ran for like a year, year and a half. And so, like, every 12 weeks, I would get a nice little check in the mail that would pay my rent and make sure my phone was stayed on. Now, judging Amy, you're going from a sitcom yeah. to a drama. You're uh-huh. a trained actor. I know that. But it has to be weird because the shows are longer. You're not in front yeah. of an audience. You're Worked more hours on set. Yeah. What? What? How did you get used to that? And was it something that you were very excited for? Not because of getting work. Of course, you're going to be excited. But because yeah. you get a chance at Amy Brenneman's a great actor. So yeah. it was a and time daily for that matter. For yeah, so for what was it like when you went on set? Were you intimidated at all, or were you like, <clears throat> "I'm ready to go"? I was I was not intimidated on that set, and that's I was I was intimidated by time, um, just because she is such a presence in real life. She's such a presence. Um, I, so I didn't see my I love I love comedy and would love to do another sitcom. But the funny thing about LA is they only see you as the last thing you did. So like. The joke was after Jesse, when I would go read for dramas, they're like, but can he do drama? And then after judging Amy, I would go read for seconds, but can he do a sitcom? You know, so it's like, whatever, you know, just give me, just give, me give me a chance in the room. Um, I was lucky. They, they really took care of me. My, first of all, the secret is Barbara Hall, who created that show and they created uh, uh, Madam Secretary. She's secretly a comedy writer. Like, even though she's writing dramas and there's intense stuff that happens, like, 
she loves comedy and writes comedy in her scripts. And so one of the reasons I got that job is because I got her comedy. And like I, I could do it without being sitcom-ish. Um, but my first day on that set was almost like doing a one-act play. It was, it was a nine-page scene with just Tyne Daly and I in a hotel room. And so we shot it, like we rehearsed it like a play in the morning. Like the director, um, Renee, and I always mispronounce his last name. He was on he was on Star Trek. Renee, uh, uh, it starts with an A. Yeah, I, 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 but you just, I know you're <laughs> You know, I'm, sorry, I, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm mispronouncing. Mispron- I'll, I'll destroy his name. It's Aubergine. Aubergine. Yeah, Aubergine. I can't, Aubergine. I can't Aubergine. figure out uh, But he, he's a, he was a great actor. He was an amazing director as well. But he really took care of me that first day where Tyne and I showed up. And for the first two hours, it was just Tyne and him and I in the room. And we rehearsed it like a play. We used the space, we'd move around, and then we sectioned it off depending on where we would be in the room, and we shot it then like a TV show. Um, so she gave me a lot of confidence that day that I belonged there. And so I didn't, I mean, obviously I was crazy nervous to have this nine-page all-day scene with Tyne Daly, but um, but by the end of the day, I felt like, oh, I, I, I deserve to be here. I, I've, I, I belong here. And then it was, and then it gives about managing time because your time is, your schedule is very different on a drama where you, so on Monday you could be there at five in the morning and on Friday they could call you in at 5 p.m. to start, um, depending on their schedule, depending on if you're shooting outside or nighttime, daytime, and all that stuff. Now, when Chasing Amy was done, once again, it's like you're a free agent. I mean, you know, yeah. you sit there, yeah. you know, every job's the last, man. That's was, how you feel. Was it easier for you because you'd already gone through it and you've gone through that time, or was it the same thing? You're like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? I'm like, should I be a therapist? Should I go back to school? I mean, when you when you've been through two and some pilots, it shows that people like you. It shows you're talented. Yeah. I mean, that's just a given. It's not like you're some schmuck that right, just right. got a break. I mean, after that, were you sitting there? Were you just happy to get work, or were you just were you really hungry well, for a series? The, the the good and bad side of three years on a show is you have a little money in the bank, right? So you're a little more relaxed, right? So I remember I left Judging Amy and I got an audition for a show on a network I'd never heard of before. And it was a great script. Um, and I went in and I met the producers and they liked me and they wanted me to test for it. And, uh, and then they came back and it was... 10, 10 or 12 episodes at half my pay that I was used to on Judging Amy. And so it was really a fourth of the pay that I was going to make. And I was going to be, uh, and I was like, guys, I really, I, I'd love to test for this. I really like you. I really like the project, but I can't, aff- I'm going to, you know, pilot season's around the corner. I'm going to get my own show. That's next. You know, I, I, you know, so I was so cocky. I was such an <laughs> idiot. Um, I was like, but that's the next step. I'm going to get my own show in January. So this is like November. And so I didn't test for the show. That show was called The Shield. And uh, I did not even test for it because I thought I can, I'm going to go. And I did not get my own show. I, the, <laughs> it, yeah. So um, there was another couple of years there. The, 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 like I said, the good part of it is I had money in the bank, but the bad part is that I had money in the bank. So I didn't have the, the drive I had had before of I have to get a job. Um, so you, the good part of that is you become a little more picky about what do I want to do now? What's the project I want to work on? Um, as opposed to all audition for anything because I have to work. Um, but then there's still there's still downtime. There was about you know I booked a I booked a pilot or two. I booked a pilot for a, every year for the next couple of years. Um, but and a couple guest spots here and there and an indie movie here and there. Um, 
but I think the next big one was, I think Mad Men was the next big thing. What were you looking for at that point? What kind of roles did you want? Like you had well, the, you had the money, so you could have that. You could look, but what what were you? What did you want? Well, in retrospect, what I wanted was I wanted to be the lead and I wanted to be a star. That's that, and that was that got in my way at the time. Um, had I have been smarter, I would have looked for an ensemble show or something that. Um, but I wanted a sitcom or I wanted a drama where I was the guy. That's what I thought I was ready for, but I wanted it for the wrong reasons. I wanted it because I wanted to be more famous, and I wanted to go, then go do movies, and I wanted to win awards, and so, um, and I was not going to get that job. I wasn't, I wasn't going to get that job unless it was perfect for me, and I, I, did those, I didn't write anything. Nobody wrote that thing for me, so um, my, my perception was skewed and not in a good way, I feel, in the sense that uh, uh, I was looking for the wrong things. At this point... What I'm looking for is a really good script with a really interesting character with people that I respect and like, and almost almost more importantly, the latter, um, uh, and and or people with a strong work ethic who care. Like that's yeah, I don't have to like you as long as we can get along enough to work and that we respect each other and that we we're we have this, we're on the same page of what we're doing. I, I'm fine with that too because at this point I want to do the job and then I want to go home to my family. Cause I have to travel for work. So I don't want to, and I don't want to spend all my time with people that, you know, part of my friends are assholes. Like that's my only rules. Like, don't be an asshole. Like show up on time, know your lines, don't be an asshole. Um, now, so that's what I'm looking for at this point is people that I want to work with. Well, as you've gone through your career though, you know, people get recognized and you know, were you starting to get recognized more when you're in desperate housewives? Cause that was one of those crap. That, that was a group. I mean, it's like you think there's certain shows that are sort of like soap operas too. Like people know it. Like Desperate Housewives had like an insane following. How did your life change when that came on? Did people sit there and know you, or what happened? Well, it's funny. It's funny because like uh, when I was on Judging Amy, my joke was, "If you don't know me, your aunt loves me, <laughs> or your grandmother, like or your mom." Like I was. That was the that was the mom show. Right? It was the mom network. It was the mom show at the time. Um, and so I would, depending on where we were, any, by the way, anywhere out of L.A., I got recognized for Judging Amy. In L.A., no one watched Judging Amy. The people in the industry knew what it was. They knew, the, they knew Time was really talented. They knew Amy's really talented. It was respected, but it wasn't like a water cooler show. Um, Housewives changed because a lot of people watched that show. And, and when I went out of town, people really watched that show. And the best was I did a golf trip to Ireland right after Housewives finished we went to Ireland to play golf like some buddies of mine and ha- they were a year behind. So it was the final season was on air and they only, it was like, you know, it was like 1940 in the America where they have two channels and they, everyone on Saturday night watches Desperate Housewives. So you would have thought I was Bono. I was a rock star in Ireland that year. And my really good buddy who I had lived with, who was a roommate, uh, the night before I got there, I ended up dancing with the bride at her wedding. The night before he got there, I ended up dancing with the bride at her wedding. Because I was at the, it was at the hotel I was staying at, and they came out and begged me to come in. I was like, okay. And then I they had to like Kennedy me through the kitchen to get me out of there because we got swarmed, and like people were stopping in the middle of the street to get out to take pictures. And my new friends are telling my old friend this, and he's like, what? No one cares about Kevin Rom. I've known this guy for ten years. I knew him when he was waiting tables. No one's taking a picture with this guy. And the first free meal we got, I was like, yeah, that's right. Take that free meal, Brit. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was that was it was, but it was it was it was a nice um, it was nice for that week, but that would be daunting to live with full time. And I, I you know I it's funny at this point anyone who's under anyone who's under twenty five 
I guarantee you it's, they're going to recognize me from Friends because they're all binge-watching that. And if it's at the Mac store, it's going to be Mad Men. If it's if – it's, um, just so it depends on where I am of who – but even at this point, people are like, – I always get people looking across the room like, I know that guy. How do I know that guy? Did he go to high school with me? Is he from here? We work together. So I get more of that at this point. Now Mad Men. Well, first of all, what, yeah. what was I, I Hate My Teenage Daughter? That was a sitcom, right? Yeah, that was a, it was it was a yeah it was a sitcom. So now, what was that like for you to go back to a sitcom? So much fun, so much fun. Uh, I uh, Will Calhoun uh, was one of the one of the uh, uh, Sherry Bills and Graham and uh, Ellie Creamer created it, but Will Calhoun was one of their uh, executive producers, and he and I had worked together on Jesse, so he was like going back to an old friend, you know, you haven't seen in a while, hanging out with him. And he's from Louisiana. We're both LSU fans, so that was nice. The cast was amazing. It was so much fun. I love a sitcom. I would love to do. An, I would love to do that next. Um, it's just fun. It's light. It's fun. It's you, know, the, you. You take it seriously, but you have fun and try to laugh. We're always trying to make each other laugh. I, I really enjoyed it. They were very kind to me because I had booked. I had already done a couple of episodes of Mad Men when I booked that, but I wasn't. I was a guest, and they were very generous to let me go do a couple of episodes while I was under contract with them. And then of course that was the first time in my career that I was okay with the show getting canceled because I had already been told that if that show gets canceled, they want to make you a regular on Mad Men. And obviously you want to be a regular on Mad Men as much as I love a sitcom. Um, I wanted to be a regular on Mad Men, what even was, though the sitcom paid better. What was your process in getting Mad Men? Was it a lot? Was it, was it, a, cause it's a great show. And you know, and it's, yeah. it's people, and it's one of those things that now, you know, Due to you know the cope to COVID, people are really binge watching. If they never watched Mad Men, I remember someone said, "Oh, I just started watching Breaking Bad." A good friend, I'm like, "Dude," I said, "Oh, I forgot. You grew up here, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what, you know, you didn't watch Breaking Bad." But yeah. what was your process for getting Mad Men? Now, what season did you go on? Uh, I believe it was four. So it was I think already fours. It was already acclaimed. It was. Oh yeah, it was. It was. They had won. They had won every award. Um. Uh. It was it was a huge hit. It was it was the show. Now the irony of Mad Men is everyone in LA watched it, but you know it was not a lot of people outside of the, you know it was a small number of people compared to a network show like uh, that watched it. You know they're getting like less than a million people viewing every weekend, but uh, but it was it was so in the zeitgeist. Um, so I you know it was literally it was uh, my agent called me and said, hey, we have an audition for you for Mad Men. Possibly it's possibly three episodes is what they said at the time. Um, no money. They're not paying. They're paying very little. And no one cared. And that's why they could do it. Because anyway, everyone wanted to be on the show. And so the thing about Mad Men was Matt Weiner was very big about no one knowing what's happening in the future or what's happening. You know, he, there was no, 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 no photos, no uh, tweeting or Facebooking of any of the information. It was all top secret. You couldn't get the whole script. You had to go sit in a room and read it and give it back to them. Um, so, and they, what they did in the auditions is they changed the names of the characters and the sides. So, my audition scene, one of my audition scenes was the scene with me and John Hamm and the Benihana. When I show up with my wife and he's there with the date, and I give him a hard time about uh, Honda. Um, and in the sides, they had changed his name. They had, hadn't changed my name, but they changed his name. So, you don't know. You kind of have to figure out who you're talking to. And I guessed correctly that it was Draper. Um, and so my t- I feel like half the people that read probably just didn't have the, all the information. I just got lucky with my guess. Um, 
but it was, I went into the, I went in and there were probably 20 other guys there reading for Ted Shaw and you recognized 15 of them, people that you, you know, you either knew their name or definitely knew their face from TV. And I read in front of Matt and he gave me a note and I did it again. He goes, okay, that's great. I said, okay, thanks. And I left and then they called me like the next day and I booked it. And that was nerve wracking. Showing up on that set was a little nerve wracking, but luckily I had worked with Slattery on uh, Housewives and I had worked with Jay Ferguson on Judging Amy. So there are two faces in the room that were friendly, familiar faces. And, and Slattery is such a, he's, he's such a good guy. He's like, Hey, Rom, come here, meet John, meet Lizzie. You know, you already know Matt. He's like, introduced me to everyone, made me feel welcome at the table read. And then Jay and I glommed onto each other. Cause it's like, it was both of our first episodes on this huge show. And, you know, both of us wanted to be there and excited to be there. And so it was just, it, it was so much fun. It was so exciting. Now, when did you find out, well, you know, you, if your show was canceled, you would become a regular, but when did you know, because you said it may have been three episodes, but then it ended yeah. up being more. When did you know that you, they had an inkling to develop your character more? And did it, was it something, because as you said, it's a very private show, so you probably don't know really which direction it's going, but when did you know that right. you were going to sit there and be someone who's like, okay, Ted, you're, you're a regular? There, uh, there was a scene, I was still a guest. There's a scene at the end of season five, I believe, because I think I became a regular season six. At the end of season five, there's a scene with Elizabeth Moss and I, and I, she's now come to work for once she Once I try to get her to work for me and she says, yes, I have a good idea. Like, okay, I, she's one of the leads, so they need me to show up periodically, right, if I'm her boss. <laughs> That's good news. That's good news for me. Um, but then they, there was a scene where um, it was toward the end of the season – and I, it's New Year's Eve. I'm in a, I'm in a tux, and she's working late. And I walk by her office before I go to this party, and she's looking at footage from this commercial, and she wants me to look at it. And we're both looking at it closely together. And the director is like, "When you look up at each other, just look at each other longer." And we're like, "What? What does that mean to me? I don't understand why you'd want us to do that." And he's like, "And then it dawned on us, oh, they're setting something up for a relationship." And then I was like. Yes, yes. Rom stays on the show. Rom stays on the show. Now, when the show ended, <clears throat> of course, when you're off, you have to go find more work. But yeah. what, what is it like when you sit there? As I always say, it's like you you went in as like a rookie going into like. It's like I always compare it to like playing for the Yankees back in yeah. the day. Like you're all of a sudden you're sitting there and you look next to you and there's Jeter. Okay, yeah. and then all of a sudden you've won World Series. Now, it's done. Now, do you yeah. sit there and do you prepare yourself that you are? It's was been an honor to work there, but you know it was amazing writing, amazing. It's an award winning show. How do you gear yourself to go out? Because you're going to probably audition for some stuff that's sort of schlock, you know. But you don't, yeah. you know. But you don't. But you want to work. Yeah. Well, luckily for me, um, right as we finished Mad Men, we had, we had already moved to. My wife and I had already moved to Sacramento that last season of Mad Men. Uh, for her job. Um, and so there was, this was going to be the first year I wasn't in LA that I didn't have a job, that I wasn't living in LA and don't have a job. And luckily we got pregnant. And so that like my daughter was born in September. And so like we had moved into a new house in Sacramento. We'd sold the house in LA, bought a house in Sacramento. We were getting the baby room ready and baby's coming. And so my focus was on that. And I literally called my agent and manager. And I was like, okay, look, my daughter's due in September just let's just don't call me for the rest of the year. Just give me the next couple of months to be at home, to, 
be a dad and then we'll figure I'll, I'll be ready for pilot season in January, February. And so I was planning on just not, not hearing from them for a while. And then I got a call, um, that Carrie Aaron, who I had done a pilot with a couple of years prior that, uh, she wanted me to come do an arc on Bates motel that shot in Vancouver. And I was like, Oh man, I, you know, I, I'm having a baby and I don't, you know, my wife's having a baby. I'm going to be, a, you know, but I'm going to be here. Um, I was like, I don't know. I like, I don't want to, I can't be gone that long. And she was like, look, this is the story arc. We're going to literally fly you up. You're going to work like two days at a time and then we'll fly you home. And I was like, hmm, okay, well, that's just like a nice little vacation from not sleeping all night. Um, and so that, I, that kind of, that was one of the few offers that fell into my lap that way. Um, and I got to work with Vera Formiga and, 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 K- and Carrie Aaron again. Um, and that was a joy. I mean, that was just like a nice little a respite. And then that that next year, pilot season, uh, I think was when I booked. Uh, I don't think I booked a pilot that year. I think it was the next year was was uh, Lethal. Now, when you ended up on Lethal Weapon, that shot in L.A. Were you still yeah. in Sacramento? You're still in Sacramento. How are you? And I always wonder: Do you like you have to pay for your own place, or does the the company pay for your place? How's that work? It de- it depends. So, like on when I was on for the first five years of. Um, Madam Secretary, I was a guest star. So they were in charge of my travel. They would fly me out, put me in a hotel, give me per diem, and pay me a smaller amount of money, um, sometimes less than they were spending on my hotel and my airfare. Um, but so that they're in charge. Once you become a series regular, they give you uh, – there's a fee – and it needs to go up. But they, it needs to be prorated depending on where you're going. But they give you a, a, a moving stipend, and then, then, you're, then you're local. Then it's up to you. So, like in LA, it wasn't bad. The stipend was enough for first and last and deposit on an apartment and a couple of plane tickets, right? But then, like, so I got an apartment, furnished it, and then I would fly myself back and forth or drive if I needed to. Um, but uh, so I would fly Southwest. And it's an hour flight, Sacramento to LA, Sacramento Burbank, and I'd fly. I'd fly down on Monday and work and fly home on Friday, like a commuter. What was it like on Lethal Weapon? Because that's a network show. You know, it could just come off Mad Men, which I mean, AMC's yeah. a network, but it's not. And was it? What was it like shooting that? Isn't is that the one where the I, I I'm trying to remember? Oh no, that was another show where the guy got the lead got fired. Or was that Lethal Weapon? That was the one. Okay, I wasn't sure. Now, what is that like? I mean, can you feel? I mean, I don't know if you can talk about it, but can you can you feel animosity? Can you feel? The set, because, you know, Mad Men, I'm sure, ran like a smooth machine. I'm sure of the other shows you did, too. You know, people say, you know, there's certain things. But when there's a, pr- a problem on the set or, you know, yeah. I mean, it, could, does it does it affect your work? And does it sit there and do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Uh, yes and no. I, um, you definitely felt it. That, that there, were, there, there were days when it was great. There were days when it was lovely. Like, shooting the pilot was fun. Like, we were all getting along. The first three or four episodes was great. It wasn't until it was like episode four or five of season one is when it turned. Um, and I'm still not sure exactly what happened or why it turned that way, but I know those guys didn't get along at all. Um, Clayne had just come off an AMC show, um, and so he was used to working in that format. I had just come off an AMC show. I'm used to working that way. Um, but I, I can work any I – I feel like I can work in any environment. I prefer the environment where it's structured and – this is, we're all on the same page and this is what we're doing. Um, but it was, it was a definite mind shift. It was also, uh, they're not taking, you can't take the time on that show that they took on Mad Men because of, you have to take the time on the stunts. 
right? Cause the show is the car chases and the stunts. And the, so that's where your time is eaten up. You can't take the time to nuance the scene the way we would on Mad Men. You know what I mean? Cause, uh, because you have to, you have, you have practice. You you're losing the light, and we have the car chase before sundown. You know what I mean? So the scene in the morning, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, that was it. Was very different. It was very interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it. It, uh, it was tough. It was tough. There were days when it was tough. There were days when it was like, oh come on, man, just let's just do the work. I want to. I want to get the last light. You know, I want to go home. Um, but I got to then while I was doing that, they were they were really generous about letting me go recur on Madam Secretary at the same time. So I got my creative juices more on that. Um, I mean, the reality on Lethal, I was exposition machine. I was you know my job was to say, look out for this bad guy this week, and they're at this location this week, and where's Murtaugh? You know, where's where's Riggs? Why are why are they why are they, you know? Oh no, Murtaugh! Um, that was my job. I was I would I would lay pipe. And then I got to go do the more creative stuff. They would write that stuff for me for uh, Madam. The, the, the joke, the joke in Hollywood is you do one for the meal and one for the real. Right. <laughs> now, what was it like on Madam? Because once again, that's where it had a great cast. And you know, you always sit there when you you can see like the certain guest stars. You know, you, I mean, you can tell that when they get a certain guest star. You don't see that guest star in another show. I mean, just like you probably as an actor, you're probably like in this part of your career, well, I don't really want to take a guest star on this kind of show, but I'll take a regular because, as you said, it's meal or the real. But once again, that that seemed like it was a very high quality of work, and and you had already worked with a woman, you said. Yeah, Barbara Hall I had worked with before. What was it like going on to that set? Was it just like an awakening, just like this is why I do it, like back to like... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great way to put it. Um, uh, Everyone on that show, I mean, everyone from... uh, from Stoltz, who was the directing producer, to uh, uh, Barbara Hall, the writer, to uh, Tay Leone, who's did their pros, man. They um, Tay Leone is one of my favorites. That woman is amazing. I, great story about Taya. Um, she wants the show to be the best it can be, and her personal ego is not involved in that. Like, obviously, so her ego is not attached to her character. That's the way I'll put it. Um, there's a there's a scene. There was one of the first scenes. I think it might have been my first episode. We, we're in the room. We're in her office. She's Secretary of State, and she turns to Eric Stoltz, who's directing the episode, and she said to Stoltz, "We're, her, we're about to rehearse the scene, and the scene is me scaring her staff that I may fire one of them." Right? So I need status, and you can't take status. You have to be given status, right? So Taya says to Eric, "Has anyone else besides me ever sat in my chair, my big leather chair behind my desk?" And he goes, "No." He goes, "I want him sitting in my chair." They're talking. About, they're talking to me. Talking about it like I'm not there. They're like, I, she goes. I want this one sitting in the chair when they come in to give him that status. And I was like, okay, first of all, that's a, just a genius way to tell the story, and that immediately gives me status on the show. But also, it's just so giving as an actor to want to give my character status because a lot of you know there are a lot of actors I've known that I've worked with that um, would not let anyone sit in their chair. Hold on, Miss Neeson. Bless you. Excuse me. Um, but, uh, okay. Whew. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> but just, it was so giving as an actor and smart as a, as a producer because you're telling the story better. And that's who Teo was, uh, you know. And then it cuts to the point that last year when I became a regular, we'd go into the room and I had all this dialogue. Every time I was, every, you know, every time I was a guest too, I, they'd write me these, you know, I'd come in and just lots of words. And, um, and she would try to give me more. 
She's like, I don't want to say this. I think you should say this. I think it makes more sense. I'm like, no, I have enough lines. You say it, Taya. They're paying you the big money. Like, you say the words. Here, you take take some of mine. You say them. She's amazing. I love that woman. How do you remember everything? Like, you say, like, no scripts, you know, where you get a lot of lines. You know, how do you, I mean, is it you just go over and over and over, or how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, the better written it is, the easier it is for me to memorize. If it's if there's a logical through line argument, um, if it's well crafted, um, those are easier for me. The hardest thing is names. I'm I'm terrible in real life with names anyway. So mad. I mean, uh, lethal was difficult because every week it was a new bad guy and a new place they went, and every scene was like, oh, did you go to Tommy's shack with the Billy the bad guy? And I'm like, oh, it's not Billy, it's Tom. Um, so. I have it. There's a there's an app that I use called a Rehearsal Pro, that is an app on my phone that I email the script to my rehearsal thing and it shows up in there. I highlight it and then you can record it. So I, I say it slowly, my lines and the other people's lines, and then I put earphones in and I walk and I just walk and listen listen to the scene over and over and over and over and over and over because I it's like same same way you learn lyrics to a song if you hear the song enough you learn the lyrics they just kind of stick in your head and so that's how i that's my process of learning the lines so what's coming up in your future you know madam secretary's done what's you know you're up in sacramento um you know you i'm sure when you leave today you have to go get your kids from school well at three o'clock i gotta go pick up my daughter at school right, that's my job that. today i got i think i have to i have to prep dinner i gotta you know, sweep some floors. <laughs> so, you got to beat so, the rugs. So, what's going on? What do you have anything in the can, or is, are you, do you um, have anything in the we, works? So, right before the pandemic, uh, we, we shot. I shot a pilot for HBO Max. Um, that was really. I, I'm so. I can't wait to see it. It's. It, it was so much fun to shoot. Jordana Spiro plays my wife. Um, Sarah uh, Raquel Jimenez wrote it, and um, it's it's really good. HBO. I'm not sure how much is public. I believe it's public that they passed on it. Um, HBO passed, but there are some other people that are interested in my dogs are going to bark in a second because my wife's going to lock the door. That's my dogs. They'll be quiet in a second. Um, okay, Grace, that's good. Thank you. We see her. Um, so, uh, there, a big name producer, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but a big name producer in Hollywood has seen the pilot and really likes the pilot and is now trying to shop it elsewhere. So they are trying to, they're still trying to sell it somewhere else. That, who knows if that'll happen. And then I've had about three auditions in the last month of stuff that I, that I, that I liked um, that aren't moving forward. But I, that, so things are starting to, at least I'm getting auditions again. And then, you know, cut to, in hopefully by February, we'll be auditioning for pilots again. We'll see. Well, that's awesome. I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, of course. I like your work. Now, I know you're, I'm friends with you on Facebook. Are you on Twitter or, or Instagram? Yeah. yeah, I'm on Twitter. And by the way, I'm sorry. I don't know how long ago you sent me the message on Facebook. I got rid of Facebook Messenger on my phone like a year ago. <laughs> and so the only time I see messages on Facebook is when I open it on my computer, which is very rare. And so I don't know. I just randomly opened it the other day and saw your message. Like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I no, apologize. It took so long to get back to no, you. Actually, that was not I, intentional. I, I sent you one like a year ago and what I do is no. when I do when I query guests I give them like six months you know I've good you and then I just sat there and for some reason I said I'm gonna I think I kept saw on your post about the golf tournament so I yeah. sent it to you and then you got right back and I was like cool but uh so what's 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 your Twitter uh Twitter is Kevin Rom at Kevin Rom and on Instagram it's at Kevin P Rom my middle name is Patrick so it's, I had to put a P in there well people so go go follow him on Twitter go follow him on Instagram uh go go to IMDB look at his work go check out if you haven't seen Mad Men 
Go watch it. He's, he's very good in it. You know, he's just one of those guys. You know, you like you, you, you like you don't really like him at the end, but you know. <laughs> and then check out check out the romgolf.org. That's all the information for our tournament in Florida. Okay, so Pretty people sure. check that out because he's doing great work with charity. Go give to your favorite charity. So follow him. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Uh, Instagram at Cooper Talk One. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. There's over 800 episodes. You can also email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.